This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Colin LeClaire, Chief Executive Officer of Connections Health Solutions. Colin, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Laura. Thanks so much for having me on the pod. Now, I'm excited to learn more about, um, you know, what you're doing at Connections Health Solutions. Can you tell me a little bit about um, Connections Health Solutions and what you do and how you see that fitting into the behavioral health continuum? Sure, sure. Yeah, so Connections operates level one mental health crisis facilities, which provide 24-7 support to anyone having a mental health emergency. So the company was founded in Arizona in 2009 by, by our, our founders, Dr. Chris Carson and, and Dr. Robert Williamson, who were actually the pioneers of the nation's first 23-hour psychiatric observation units in Texas back in the 90s. Um, they piloted those first 23-hour observation units to create relief for hospital EDs and to help patients avoid long waits and unnecessary hospital admissions. The goal was to create a minimally restrictive environment staffed with a multidisciplinary team of mental health professionals trained in emergency psychiatry and supportive services where patients could be seen very quickly um, and treated and most of the time discharged safely back to the community. Um, and with, within a month of launching that version 1.0 of the model back in the 90s, they had reduced Parkland Hospital's inpatient psych census by over 40% and had given those patients the opportunity to recover at home with their families and their community. So it was a, a huge success. Now, fast forward 30 years, and Connections has consistently now proven that those results are repeatable in other markets, beginning with, with Arizona. So our, our, our flagship Arizona facilities have been around for now 15 years. Our team has treated over a half million patients in crisis. We set the curve in crisis care performance from quality measurement and patient safety to readmission rates and total medical cost reduction. And we operate almost exclusively under value-based contracts. So one of the questions that we often get is, so what, what distinguishes this level one crisis facility from other crisis facilities and, and where does it fit into the continuum? Um, we call ourselves a level one facility because we're uniquely equipped to receive, treat, and stabilize any patient with mental illness or substance use disorder, regardless of their diagnosis or acuity whether they arrive voluntarily or involuntarily, and whether or not they have insurance. So that really distinguishes us from other services that are also called crisis facilities, but may not be equipped to treat patients just to evaluate them or provide peer support, or those that can only treat lower acuity populations in more of an urgent care-like setting. So you know, those other services may be pretty important capabilities for a, a crisis system to have in order to serve lower risk populations, but they're just not designed for the purpose of treating mental health emergencies. Um, and then finally, in terms of where we sit in the broader ecosystem, you know, our closest upstream partners in the community are hospital ERs that are overcrowded and not well equipped to, to, to treat these patients, uh, law enforcement who are often charged with safety, safely engaging patients in the community and finding treatment for them, um, and certainly outpatient psychiatric practices with high-risk patients, and then a number of other community stakeholders who need the support uh, when a patient goes into an emergency. And then on the downstream side, we're very, very selective about which downstream providers we send our patients to on discharge. And those partnerships and patient handoffs are a really critical contributor to our outcomes. Those include outpatient psych providers, um, partial, partial hospitalization providers, um, intensive outpatient providers and programs, residential programs, and then any, any a whole range of value-based medical groups who can take accountability for, for these complex patients. So essentially, Connections acts as sort of the safety net for the mental health ecosystem in our communities, and we take broader responsibility for patient outcomes than most emergency departments can. 
Well, that's fascinating to hear. And, you know, really um, sounds like you've gotten some great results. So I'm excited to learn more. And we've heard a lot about Arizona's crisis system as being the gold standard. Why is that? And what can other states learn and adopt from the system they are building or optimizing um, the crisis system in their own communities? Sure, sure. Well, first, we believe that a crisis system success is measured by improved quality, improved access and access and lower costs. And Arizona is home to, I believe, the longest operating and certainly the most studied crisis system in the country. And there's no doubt that the state's crisis system has achieved all three of those objectives. Um, so I can talk a little bit about how they've achieved those successes, and then I can share some opportunities and lessons learned for states that are just beginning this journey. Um, so the modern crisis system has really three critical capabilities. And this is what Arizona is perhaps best known for, the Arizona model. It's one, somewhere to call, like the 98 crisis line. Two, someone to respond, and that includes mobile crisis units who can often de-escalate the crisis in the community. And three, somewhere to go, a level one crisis facility like, like Connections. Um, but it's important to note that Arizona looked very different when the system was launched in the late 80s. The Arizona crisis system was born out of a class action lawsuit as Arnold versus Sarn, with the goal of providing better access to mental health care, particularly for those with severe, serious mental illness and a lawsuit was very prescriptive. It required that the state provided uh, ACT teams, assertive community treatment teams, uh, su su supported employment, um, permanent supportive housing, and then peer and family support services. And those all remain critical services in any high-functioning crisis system for, for preventive care and post-stabilization care. But, but they don't actually address the actual crisis event. So over the years, what Arizona learned was they had to augment their system to address their biggest problem, which was those eight to 15% of patients that account for 80% plus of behavioral health expense and are slipping through the cracks and not benefiting from those services that are required. So with the goal of providing an alternative to hospitalizations, ER visits in jail, and with the help of some innovative providers like Connections, Arizona develops what is now the modern crisis system. And for 15 years now, Arizona has provided patients with access to a crisis line. They had 211 before 988 arrived. Um, they've had dozens of mobile crisis response, response teams across the market, as well as non-emergent transportation. Um, and they've offered level one crisis facilities like, like Connections, and a long list of other important outpatient and post-acute services. So what we have today is a, an interdependent ecosystem of crisis services, outpatient services, and social supports that produces this gold standard that Arizona is, is known for. Um, as, as an example, over the past several years, our urgent psychiatric center in Phoenix has consistently reduced the behavioral health costs in our catchment area by about 40% by diverting patients away from ER and inpatient settings. The REBA then uses that savings that we create and funds expanded outpatient care and social supports for high-risk patients. So it's a symbiotic system if built properly that should not only pay for itself, but also produce savings for the state while still producing, improving quality and, and access. Um, I think it's, it's worthwhile noting briefly that the regulatory environment is also pretty critical to Arizona success. In my opinion, the three factors that created the environment for the system to su succeed were one, the central administration of the system. The crisis system is centrally administered by the state Medicaid agency access who contracts out management of each of the geographic regions, there are six of them, to a health plan. That health plan is designated as the regional behavioral health authority whose sole focus is the performance of the carved out behavioral health system. And that focus has been really, really critical to the success of the system. Um, the second, I think, feature is the organization of the funding. The state was able to consolidate all of these disparate 
behavioral health funding sources from the feds, from state, from the county, into one single funding stream for the REVAs to administer. So you have kind of a single payer for all behavioral health services entitled, entitlement programs under one roof. I think that's also been a, a secret to their success. And then finally, integration of mental health services and social supports, which was way ahead of its time when they prescribed that in the, in the 80s. And that's been, uh, I think, critical to the success. So there's a lot that states can learn from Arizona's experience that should result in development of a higher functioning crisis system. It doesn't have to take 35 years to get there as it did in, in Arizona. Um, if, if we have time, I think there's one opportunity that I think states should pursue um, to accelerate their and improve their crisis system performance. Um, and that's to pursue a value-based approach from the very start. You know, the Arizona system was really designed around improving access. And at the time, value-based payment models weren't common in Arizona. So the system was architected around grant-funded kind of cost-plus payment structure. Um, those of us who are operating in value-based contracts today in Arizona are doing so because we're committed to the triple aim and we've been very persistent in pursuing that vision. Uh, but the Arizona system is not well-suited to support value-based models. And as a result, the value-based movement has been slow to develop here. So because of its history, it's, it's also much more difficult to move providers off of a familiar fee-for-service cost-plus model. So I strongly recommend that, it, that, that markets that are contemplating the development of their crisis system start with a value-based architecture. Absolutely. That's great to hear. And definitely, um, you know, some other pointed examples of how Arizona has been ahead of its time and really is a model for the rest of the country. I know right now, too, emergency room overcrowding continues to surface as a concern across the board. What role do crisis centers play in addressing this and supporting the system? Yeah, well, so, you know, I believe crisis centers are the number one most effective solution to emergency room overcrowding over the next decade or two. Um, I think we need to, you know, further develop the outpatient preventive care uh, ecosystem, but that's going to take time. Until then, we need to have a, a safety net for every mental health system, and, and crisis centers are that solution. Um, in fact, 35 to 40 percent of the people we see are transferred from the ER, providing an immediate solution to ER overcrowding. Um, so, you know, most, most patients experience a behavioral crisis go to the ER because there's no alternative. Um, you know, but ERs are generally better prepared to treat an acute medical condition than they are a mental health emergency. So in the ER, medical, medical emergencies are tend, tend to be prioritized, creating long waits for patients before they're seen by a clinician, much longer before they're seen by a psychiatric professional. And at Connections, our services are specifically designed to alleviate ER crowding and unnecessary inpatient utilization. So our door-to-doc -door time averages less than 45 minutes. Uh, for patients who meet inpatient criteria, we seek to stabilize them in our first in our, our 23-hour observation facility. And 65% of the time, we can discharge them back to the community within 24 hours, avoiding the hospitalization altogether. Um, and then for lower acuity patients, they can come into our urgent care unit for an unscheduled visit and be in and out in less than two hours. Then finally, for law enforcement and first responders, on average, we can take the patient from their custody into our care in less than 10 minutes, rather than forcing them to wait for hours with the patient in the ED or taking them to jail. So the level one crisis facility model is a really, really effective solution in reducing emergency room crowding immediately. That's great to hear and definitely something that I know a lot of communities across the country are looking at and trying to figure out those models. 
I know recently there has been a lot of movement too in the legislative space um, around access to behavioral health services and care. How do these recently passed or introduced bills impact crisis care overall and the services that you are providing in that space? Yeah, thank you for asking. I, I'm thrilled to see the bipartisan support for advancing behavioral health care in general. Uh, because today, more than you know, 150 million people live in a, a federally designated mental health shortage zone. And we're seeing both the feds and states moving really quickly to fill those gaps. Um, at the federal level, you know, the, the, the launch of 90 Day, the, the CARES Act, the American Rescue Plan, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 23, um, those have all already had a very positive impact on patient access and specifically on the availability of crisis services. There's also been a lot of activity at the state level independent of the, of the federal legislation. For example, when I, when I joined Connections five years ago, there were only three or four states in the country that had a, a regulatory framework and a license available to support a level one crisis facility like ours. Today, more than I think 35 states across the country are in some stage of legislative or regulatory development to provide access to these services. So the combination of regulatory and legislative activity at both the federal and the state levels has created a lot of momentum. That's really great to hear and definitely exciting to note. Now, what do you see as being some of the biggest challenges facing behavioral health crisis care industry and how can you overcome them? Yeah, uh, you know, other than staffing, um, the greatest challenge that communities will face in developing their crisis system is probably finding or developing the crisis provider expertise. Um, and because of the urgent demand for services right now, Many traditional outpatient behavioral health providers or new entrants are stepping up to, the, to provide that level one crisis care, level of care. And we applaud that ambition, and we do need many more high-performing crisis providers to meet this need. But we'd caution them that this shift is akin to a, a, primary, a primary care practice electing to operate an ICU. It's a giant leap in acuity and complexity and staff training, risk, et cetera. Um, but... I think the good news is the behavioral health community is incredibly collaborative, and I think new providers will find that the experts are ready to help. You know, for example, our, our uh, chief innovation officer, Dr. Margie Balfour, uh, co-authored the Roadmap to the Ideal Crisis System, which is the blueprint that dozens of states and providers across the country are following to design and implement their crisis system. And, and our library of white papers and articles and clinical studies are all accessible on our website, including the, the Roadmap to the Ideal Crisis System. Um, you know, one project that we're working on right now that I think will be helpful to states and providers planning their, their system build is a standards guide for crisis services. You know, ultimately we'd like to see regulatory adoption of our guide to, to distinguish between different capabilities of, of crisis facilities. For example, you know, those that can treat involuntary patients in our physician led like ours versus, you know, an urgent care facility that treats lower acuity populations versus those that are evaluation or triage facilities that send patients to the ER for treatment. You know, currently, all of those facilities would be called a crisis facility. And all may be valuable in a crisis ecosystem, but their capabilities are vastly different. And I think in the rush to develop you know, a high functioning crisis system, it will be important to clearly define the objectives and the required capabilities of the participants. Um, and we've actually experienced this challenge firsthand in recent years. We've toured dozens of providers through our facilities and we've witnessed several others attempt to copy our model and most have failed. Um, because there's more to operating a level one facility than knowing the floor plan and the org chart. Um, so our vision is to redesign the behavioral health system at large to better serve those who need it most. And we're eager to help communities and providers get this right. 
That's awesome to hear. Well, Colin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and really explaining a lot about the behavioral health industry and crisis care. Um, This has been a really fascinating conversation, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Yeah, thank you, Laura. You too. Appreciate you having me on. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.